Question for you, what does freedom look like? What does freedom look like? Maybe freedom looks like a beach. That's what it looks like for me. If I close my eyes and think, what would it be like to be free? I would be somewhere like this. Maybe freedom looks like a beach. It, of course, used to look like this. These days, you know, we'll perhaps just let that one slide. Free as a bird. That makes sense, right? You can fly wherever you want. You're at the top of the food chain. I don't know if like, well, I guess falcons eat other birds, but mostly you're okay. Free as a bird. How about the freedom of the open road? Anybody besides me love that? If you love to drive, raise your hand. Let me see. Right? You love that, right? You love driving? It's awesome. I couldn't wait to get my license. One of my sons doesn't care. The other son loves it. The son who loves it is driving illegally from time to time. I was like, back in the 80s? Anyway, freedom of the open road. When we were first married, one of the things I used to love to do is just go for a drive. Nikki'd be at work, I'd be by myself, I'd get in the car and just go for a drive. To this day, we love going for drives together, the freedom of the open road. That one makes sense to me. Of course, that's connected to the idea of going wherever you want. You've done this, you sit down with a map and choose your own adventure. That's freedom, baby. You ever done that? Really fun. Many of our lives are so busy that we don't have much margin, much room to do this kind of thing. If you ever get the chance, I highly recommend it. It's tough with my wife because she's a planner. She likes to know in advance everything. I'm a little more like fly by the seat of my pants. Let's just see where we end up. I gather from my dad. We used to go on epic family trips. We'd drive across the whole country, and they wouldn't pre-book a single hotel. Now, look, once in a while, you know, you show up, and there's no room in the inn, so you keep driving. But once in a while, it ends up with you in this loft that they reserve for friends and family in a little guest house in West Berlin. Spitting distance from the wall, it was still up. Choose your own adventure. That's freedom, baby. I don't know what it is about this next one, but there's a lot of it out there. When you search the idea of freedom... Every other picture is this. It's like we all watch a certain movie. It's freedom! Right? Braveheart shouting freedom. Kevin Costner in Dances with Wolves. Remember riding on the horse through the bullet storm? Kate and Leo on Titanic. I mean, you go on and on and on. Andy Dufresne after he escapes from Shawshank. That shot, he's standing like this. Camera's spinning. Rain's coming down. Freedom. So I thought about that, I was like, it's interesting, you know, that's how I worship Jesus. Can always have, right? It's freedom. Uh, I'll tell you what freedom looks like. It's first Peter five. One to nine. This what freedom looks like. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is gonna be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, 
with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. A couple famous zingers in that passage. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. The famous sequence where the devil is portrayed as a roaring Lion, the whole first part is very boring for most people because it's to elders, it's to the leaders of God's church. And so when I came to the passage, I'm like, hmm, I'm not going to major on that. What can I find in here that will encourage these people and give God his glory? The idea of freedom, what does freedom look like? Right off the top, we see that freedom looks decisive. It looks urgent and it looks old. So I exhort you. The elders. In the Greek, the word elders is seniors, so I exhort the seniors among you. I love the word so. It's a transitional word with some power, so. Last week's passage ends with Peter commanding his listeners to commit their souls to Jesus, to give them over to Jesus, to commit the care of their life to Jesus. Then he takes a breath, having given them that command, and then he's on to the next thing. So, he's on to the next thing. There's always a next thing with God. What's your next step? I was thinking the gospel's kind of like a video game with ascending levels of difficulty. Just when you think you got it, you don't got it. Just when you think you're like, I'm good, you're not good. right? Just when you think, okay, I understand everything. Something happens, and you're like, I understand nothing. So you can do one of two things. You can just quit. You ever do that? Just rage quit out of a video game. I'm not a video game person. Unfortunately, my sons are. Clearly, I have failed as a father. I'm just kidding. I just never got into it. I was too busy outside climbing trees, setting traps for people, doing all kinds of illegal things. Maybe it's better this way. They just rage quit. Like, I can't, I can't take it. <laughs> Gospel's kind of like that. Walking with Jesus is kind of like that. I just tell you so you can like pre, be pre-warned. You know, We'll sit for hours. My sons will sit for hours playing video games. The second we get a little disruption in our Christian walk, we're like, hmm, that's it. What's your next step? You want to be free? Avoid stasis. Urgently. So I exhort the elders among you, exhortation to incite by argument or advice to urge strongly. You want to be free? Live with a sense of urgency. I really need to work on this one. Nobody laughed about that. Gee whiz. You're like, calm down, Todd. I am calm. I'm just trying to live with some, ooh, some urgency. You want to be free? Live with some urgency. Look at, like, I mean, take one thing this week that you know you have to do and do it with everything you got for a change. You know, they coach people like this in performance. I'm doing it right now. Right? I'm sending every bit of energy in my body through my limbs. Now, I don't know if you feel it coming from my fingers, but it is. 
So much so that when I go home on a Sunday afternoon, I am sore from preaching. Now, I'm just, I'm a preacher, so I preach with urgency. You may not be a preacher, so do your metallurgy with urgency. What does it look like for you to go into work this week and achieve greatness for God's glory and your joy? I want to be free, live with some urgency. And, (laughs) everybody said amen, embrace your oldness. Verse 1. So I exhort the seniors among you. I'm here to tell you today that oldness is a good thing in God's economy. The glory of the young is their strength. The gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. I used to read that and not be able to relate. Now I can relate. Gray hair, that was Proverbs 20, 29. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is obtained by following a righteous path. You know the whole joke about you get gray hairs from stress? Suggests that doing the right thing is difficult. It might turn your hair gray. Proverbs 16.31. Hear the words of Psalm 92.12-14. The righteous flourish. Hear it. Receive it. Believe it. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Hear it. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. You want to be free? You need to live like there are no diminishing returns with God. You need to begin living like you expect things to get better and better and better and better until you die and go see Jesus, who's the best, so you win. It's radically countercultural. What happens in our world as people age, many fall into despair, decrepitude, and just give up. Do you have a bitter old man in your neighborhood? Always yelling at the kids to get off his lawn. The old man who loves Jesus is busy inviting the kids to come play on his lawn. Because he knows that his lawn exists for the glory of God. And the joy of the wider world. Want to be free? Begin rejecting the law of diminishing returns. You need to live now like it's then. What Peter says as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He sees himself as a participant, meaning he's participating now in a glory that is going to be revealed. Strange, right? Very cool. He sees himself as a participant now in a glory that is going to be revealed. Peter bases his identity now on something that is not yet. That's powerfully instructive for us. His identity is based now on something that is not yet. I am God's friend. I am his child. You are his heir. You are a co-creator with him of a whole new way of being human. You are working towards the renewal of all things with him. I want to read you a very famous passage of scripture. I want you to listen 
to all the time bending that happens in it. Okay, listen for that. All the time bending that exists in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Ready? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord, have mercy. Does that make your head spin? I didn't want to point out every single one and be completely pedantic, but tried to point out a few of them. Isn't that mind-blowing? You did this, but he did this, and he's going to do this, which means you'll do this, and you're doing this, even though you used to do that, so he did this, which means that, which means this. Oh, that's heavy duty. You used to be lost, Now you're seated in heaven in Christ while being here to do good works that God has prepared beforehand. You want to be free? Live like Marty McFly. (laughs) That'll preach good. That'll preach good. Christians are time travelers. Bible says it. It says you're seated in heaven in Christ right now, while being here to do good works. Case closed. You're Marty McFly. What's the biggest thing that changed in Marty McFly? His perspective. Being a time traveler changes your perspective. And when you have a different perspective, you behave differently. Our different perspective is why we live different. Consider verses 2 through 4. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So here he's speaking to the leaders of God's church. It's not 100% applicable to you. It's very applicable to me. But if you stretch it just a little bit, this can speak to anyone who has a position of power and authority. Now You may not have all the power you want or all the authority you want or will one day have, but you probably have some. So this can be instructive to you even though you are not an elder in God's church. This can be instructive to you as you seek 
to live out the stewardship of the power and influence that God has given you in a way that brings him much glory, brings you much joy, and through that joy, sees your life transformed, sees you equipped to change the world around you. What's he saying to the elders? He's saying, supervise without compulsion, willingly. How many people do you know who have a job to do and consistently do it willingly, not from compulsion? That's a challenge. You go to work this week not because you have to, but because you want to. Reject avarice, that's shameful gain, doing everything with an eye to what you're going to get out of it. Manipulating and organizing things such that your profit is always maximized. It's crazy to think that leaders in God's church are guilty of this. Embrace eagerness. Don't domineer. How easy is it to be domineering? Especially the people who happen to have a powerful personality. You can domineer and you're not even trying to. I'm guilty of this often. People say to me, you're really intimidating. I'm like, really? I don't know. I thought it was kind of nice. It's completely clueless. So I read this and it's like a, it's a whoop upside my head. Be a good example. All these things are very different from most renowned leadership examples I can think of. Where stock price is celebrated above everything else. Where net worth is celebrated beyond everything else. Where everything is wired to maximize your profit. To maximize what you're going to gain out of the situation. Where power is wielded to justify whatever means. You want to be free, live the opposite game. Well, what about me? Let's be free. What about them? But, but I want. Let's be free. What do they want? Not my will be done, but yours be done, O Lord. You want to be free, no more me first. But I'll lose if I live that way. Not if you belong to Jesus. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know what that is? That's the victory laurels. That's what the unfading crown of glory is. That's the victory laurels. You are becoming Michael Phelps in Jesus. It's not hyperbolic. That's the truth. You're becoming Michael Phelps in Jesus. Unfading victory is your destiny, baby. Um, I was going to say put that in your pipe and smoke it, but considering our country, it's not appropriate anymore. (laughs) Unfading glory is your destiny. Get a load of that one. You want to be free? Live like a champion today because that's who you're going to be forever. Time travel your championness back to the present. Put on that medal. Go out there and take ground for God's glory and your joy. If you have any aspect of a victim mentality in your life, cast it aside. Put on the crown and get going. You're a champion. Woo! 
And this isn't just for the seniors in the context of God's church. Consider verses 5 through 9. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties, your cares on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, I always say the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. I'll deal with this rapid fire. I'm almost done. Headstrong young bucks, headstrong young does, submit to your elders. Again, we love the difficult Bible, don't we? What's the one thing a young buck doesn't want to do? Submit. What's the one thing a young doe doesn't want to do? Submit to anyone, let alone to some old guy with the beginnings of a pot belly and some gray hair. Look, I know, you should have met me when I was 28. You're like, that would be a very bad situation. Exactly. The more headstrong you are, the more you need humility. It's been a difficult lesson for me to learn. I was always like, Lord, why are you whooping me so much? As I get older, I begin to realize why he was whooping me so much. Truth is, we all need humility so much, we should wear it like clothes. I was going to bring an apron, but I thought it would be over the top. Clothe yourselves with humility. You know what it says in the original language? Wear ye the servile apron. The apron that only servants wear. A badge of dishonor. Put it on. Might have been good. You wouldn't take me serious, though, if I preached the last half of the sermon in an apron. Especially if it was like, like a real frilly one, that would have been great. <laughs> real men wear aprons. And then in brackets, the servile apron. Nobody would get it. Humility. We need to wear it like clothes. You want to be free, know your place. That's what humility is, by the way. Knowing your place. What does that look like? This is what God made me to do. Hopefully you know that. So I'm going to say to you, what did God make you to do? Hopefully you can say, God made me to do this. That's the most important step towards humility, knowing who God made you to be. This is who God made me to be, and nothing else. Why is it so important to know who God made you to be? Because that leads you to be able to say, I am therefore not the body of Christ. I'm just one part. I'm just the mouth. I'm just the hands. Maybe you're just the eye. I'm just the ears. Maybe you're the butt. You're like, Todd, come on, man. Listen, the the butt is a wonderful thing. Why is that? I'm just, I mean, if you weren't sitting right now, I'd get you to kind of give your butt some love. Why is a butt so important? It's where all the strength comes to do heavy lifting. I was going to do a squat, but I was like, nah. There is a line that I will not cross. 
But picture it, though. I got to do it. No, I can't. I'll rip my jeans. Picture somebody doing a squat. It's hard being me. If you're going to lift people up, you're... I got to do it. No. See, I can't. The jeans are too tight. I need Reuben bites to do it. I can't even do it. The jeans are too tight. If you're going to lift people up, you're going to need some butts. I'll say it again. If you're going to lift people up, you're going to need some butts. The only problem is when butts start acting like heads. <laughs> you feel me, right? <laughs> know who you are. Know where you fit. Know what you're supposed to do. Stop striving to be everything else. Be humble. Why? Verse 5. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. <sighs> you want to be God's enemy or his beneficiary? His beneficiary, obviously. But how? Verse 6 shows you how. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. This, finally, is where the freedom idea comes from. I was going to tell you off the top, but I thought today instead I'll take you on a journey and let you find it in the text. This is where the hook comes from. This is the most important sequence in the whole sermon right here. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. You know what it is in the Greek? Don't miss it. Humble yourselves under God's mighty holding hand. Hmm. I have woo in the notes here. See how this goes. <clears throat> Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, the same mighty hand and outstretched arm with which he set his people free from slavery in Egypt. The same outstretched arms that were pierced to nail him to a cross so he could suffer and die in your place for your sins to set you free. I'm getting excited now. The same mighty hand of the Holy Ghost that rolled the stone away that first Easter Sunday morning so that God the Son might rise again. The same mighty hands that will one day wield the last trumpet and sound it with the voice of an archangel. The same mighty hand that will pick up the rod of iron with which he will rule the nations, his kingdom which will have no end, a kingdom in which you have a place. The same hand that lifted you up out of Psalm 40's miry clay and pit of destruction. You want to be free? Humble yourself under that hand. Under God's mighty holding hand that sets his people free. You need to begin defining your place in the world by what Jesus has done for you. Are you lost and without hope? Or did God the Son become flesh? Are you left to your own devices or in the fullness of time? Did that God-man, fully God and fully man, ascend the cross, allow himself to be pinned there so that God the Father might lay on him the iniquities of us all? Are you a helpless and constant prisoner to your sin? Or as Jesus hung there, was your sin and mine, and in fact the sin of the world, laid on him? Do you need to continue living with guilt like you're under God's wrath? Or did God the Father pour out his wrath upon God the Son at the cross? Are you lost and without hope? 
Is this life all there is? And when you die, you're done. Or did Jesus Christ rise again the third day, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever? Is this world all there is? Or did he ascend in front of his disciples' eyes to the Father's right hand where he sat down in victory, a place where he is even now interceding for you, a place from whence he'll come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end, a kingdom in which you have a place. Is it true or isn't it? If it's true, then nothing will ever be the same for you. It's once and only once that you've received that new life in Jesus that verses 7 through 9 become possible. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. Verse 7 is great. Toss every worry on Jesus because he cares for you. I got, I got nothing I could toss. I should have brought a medicine ball. I could have used that for my squat illustration. Stupid. Toss. Like a bag of garbage. Toss every worry on Jesus because he cares for you. Toss your anxiety on Jesus. Sobriety. Right-mindedness. Those are found in Jesus. I'm just asking, is it any coincidence that there are fewer Christians in Canada today than at any time in its history, while at the same time, more Canadians than ever are trapped in anxiety, addiction, and despair? I'm just asking the question. I'm just saying I look at it. Seems like there's a connection to me. You know why? Because evil is real. I know it's not popular to say it, but it's true. The devil's out there like a roaring lion seeking any old target whom he may be down drinking. That's what the literal interpretation says. The devil's out there looking for any old target whom he may be down drinking. The devil's getting drunk off your despair. You don't got to let him know more because of Jesus The devil is getting drunk off your despair. Don't let him. Resist him. Verse 9. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. It's like Peter saying, ain't no thing but a chicken wing. It's like, you think your life is bad? Lots of people are struggling with things that are way worse than what you're struggling with. It doesn't mean what you're going through isn't hard, but just get your mind right. You're not alone. Worship team, I'm done. You can run. Here's the crescendo. You're not alone. You don't have to allow yourself to be some random target for misery anymore. Did that that help you a little bit? I want to say every point twice. You can take the next step. You can live with some urgency. You can live like the best is yet to come. In fact, church, you can live like it's then, now. If you want 
You can live like you're Marty McFly. You could even play the opposite game once in a while. You could live like a champion today because that's who you are going to be forever, Simon. So, you might as well get a head start. I'm Michael Phelps, baby. I'm going to adopt that attitude this week. It's going to help me very much. Help me come out of my shell a little bit. You can wear humility like a uniform. You could know your place before God and his people. I mean, you could celebrate it, even if you were the butt, because butts are strong, like God's mighty hand and his outstretched arm that saved you and saved me. Which is why I don't have to worry anymore, and neither do you. Because, you know, I could just toss that on Jesus. The God who sets his people free. <laughs>